Good day. I hope everyone had a blessed and wonderful week. Today we'll be starting a new chapter in the book of Matthew. We'll be covering chapter 27, verses 1 through 10. And the title of today's lesson is Judas Kills Himself. Now, we're only going to have two chapters left in the book of Matthew. So for the next couple of months, we're going to focus on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we need to understand that this is the main reason that Jesus was sent into this world, was to give his life as a redemption for you and me. So we can have a chance to be saved, so we can have a chance to live forever with him in his kingdom. And we need to know this, that after his death, God the Father raised up his son from the dead on the third day. This tells us and shows us that Jesus did exactly the will of the Father. And these events that we're going to be discussing over the next couple of months, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, we need to understand that these are the foundations of our faith. So we need to understand this in order for us to respond faithfully in a God-pleasing manner. So what we're going to learn in this lesson, what we're going to see in the lesson today, is that the Jewish leaders... Remember, Jesus was on trial, and they found him guilty of blasphemy. Well, Jesus was on trial in front of the Sanhedrin, which is the council, the Jewish council, which is related basically to, to our Supreme Court today. So the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, what they're going to do is they're going to turn Jesus over to the Roman leaders. And this is to show us and everybody else that Jesus went to that cross and he died for both Jew and Gentile. So we can say that the Jews and Gentile, all of humanity, in other words, is responsible for the death of Jesus. You see, there's a lot of people that say, oh, let's blame the Jews. There's some people that say, let's blame Pilate and the Roman government. But what the scripture teaches us and what the scripture tells us here is that all of us, both Jew and Gentile, all of humanity, send Jesus to the cross because we have a sinful nature. And this just shows that all of humanity is guilty. See, once again, Jesus did the perfect will of the Father by going to that tree, by dying by being crucified, but on the third day, because he did the will of the Father, God raised him from the dead. And this is the heart of the new covenant that Jesus made for all of us. All of humanity has an opportunity to spend eternity with Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. But the key is relationship with Jesus. The key is having faith in him, is believing in him, is following him, is trusting in him. So with that being said, open up your Bibles and let's jump into today's lesson, starting in verse 1. And verse 1 simply says this, Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans on how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, they led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, the one who had betrayed him, 
saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. And he said, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. And they replied, what is that to us? That's your responsibility. So Judas left, throwing the money into the temple. Then he went away and he hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put into this treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. So let's go back to verse 1. And let's decipher and let's see, let's, let's, let's see what's going on here in these scriptures today. Verse 1 says it starts off early in the morning. Now that's important here because early in the morning signifies a change of what has been going on. If you remember, when Jesus left the Last Supper with his disciples, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying. And, he, and, and while he was praying, he kept trying to warn his disciples to be on alert, to be watchful. He was telling them to pray and so, so they can be ready for what was to come because Jesus knew that he was fixing to be arrested and that eventually he would be beaten and put on trial and crucified. But after they arrest Jesus, Judas comes with the religious leaders and the Roman government, some, some guards. They take Jesus to Annas' house, which is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest. And we know that at Annas' house that he was beaten, Jesus was beaten. They try to question Jesus. They try to ask Jesus some questions. Jesus answered, but didn't say a whole lot. So they take him to Caiaphas, the high priest. When they get to Caiaphas, the high priest, they have all of the religious leaders there, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they don't wait till the next morning to put Jesus on trial. They put him on trial right then and there. Now we're probably talking about two, three in the morning. This takes place right? But now it says early in the morning. So now it's daylight, we can say. And we see a change from night now to day. And what they're doing now, we know that they found Jesus guilty of blasphemy. So now what they're doing is they're fixing to turn Jesus over to go in front of Pilate, the governor. So we see a change from night where the Sanhedrin put him on trial to morning. Now, why you say the Sanhedrin had to turn him over to the Roman government? Because by law, the Sanhedrin wanted Jesus crucified. And by law, according to Roman law, the only people that can crucify was the Romans themselves. So they have to take Jesus and they have to present him in front of Pilate and plead their case of why they think Jesus needs to be crucified. Now, why am I saying that? Because look what the rest of the verse says. And the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans on how to have Jesus executed. You see, if, if they just turn Jesus over to Pilate 
on the condition of blasphemy according to Jewish law, then Pilate would pay no mind to that. And Pilate would not put Jesus to death. Actually, we actually see that, and we're going to study that later on in this chapter, where Pilate says that Jesus is innocent. And Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent, but because of political purposes, you see, Pilate answered to Caesar. See, Pilate was a governor of Judea and Samaria. And we know that Jerusalem was in Judea. And, and Pilate's territory was those two places. And what Pilate said, they did. But if the Jews rebelled, if the Jews wanted Jesus to be crucified, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, they can go to Caesar and cause trouble for Pilate. And Pilate was afraid of this. So although Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, what he did was, this is taking place on the festival of Passover. And by Jewish law, because the Romans, although they were in charge, they, they let a Jewish prisoner, two Jewish prisoners, every Passover be free and, and the crowd would vote on who would be free. So Pilate, because he knows this, he takes the most rebel prisoner that they have and his name is Barabbas, a thug like we know it in our time today. Just a pure rebel that he just killed, he beat Jews, Romans, it didn't matter. If you want to call him sort of like a gangster, that's what he was, right? And Pilate knows that Barabbas is guilty. So he takes Barabbas and Jesus and he says, which one do you want free? And what the crowd yelled out, free Barabbas and crucify Jesus. So it shows us that Pilate was trying to get Jesus off, but not having him make the decision. He wanted to throw it back on the Jews, thinking in his mind that they would release Jesus because Barabbas was such a rebel, right? So what's happening is they know that they need to present Jesus as a threat in front of Pilate. And that Pilate would, would, would sentence him to death by crucifixion. So that's what they're discussing here. How can we get Jesus to look like a threat? You know, to, 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 to make Pilate think that really he's a rebel. Look at the next verse, verse two. So this is what they do. So they bound him. Now you might say, why do they, why are they bounding Jesus? They didn't bound Jesus right now because they want to make it look like he's a physical threat. They want to send the message to Pilate and the Romans that Jesus is dangerous, that Jesus is a rebel, that Jesus is dangerous. So they bound him and they led him away and they handed him over to Pilate, the governor. So they want to make it look like Jesus is, is a threat to society, is, is a danger. He's a rebel. Now, again, Pilate was the governor. And I told you a little while ago that, that although the Jews hated the Roman government, they really didn't like him. See, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, although they didn't like the Roman government, them and the Roman government pretty work, pretty much worked hand in hand because the Roman government, although they were in charge, they let the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders kind of control the nation of Israel. 
I told you this before. As long as they paid their taxes and they didn't rebel against the Roman government, the Roman government didn't tell them anything. They didn't do anything. They just let the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders run the nation. As long as they paid their taxes and they didn't cause trouble, right? So we see although they didn't like him, they pretty much worked hand in hand with him. And they bring him to Pilate and they know that they're going to force Pilate by political reasons to put Jesus to death. So they bring him to Pilate making it look like Jesus is a danger to society. But we know that Jesus is not a danger to society and never was and never will be. Jesus is love. Amen. Verse 3 says this. Now when Judas, so Judas is witnessing all of this. Judas, the one that betrayed Jesus. When he sees all of this, it says the scripture tells us when Judas who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned. In other words, saw that Jesus was found guilty and that he was going in front of Pilate. Look what the scripture says. He was seized with remorse and he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Now, Judas in Hebrew means to praise, right? But we see right here that Judas is living a life that is anything but praiseworthy. He's living a life of rebellion. He's living a life that is manipulated by the enemy. And the message I think that Jesus wants us to see in this scripture is because Judas loved the things of this world, in this case, money, rather than the things of God, right? When that happens, bad things occur to us. Remorse maybe sets in, right? Something maybe that you're a good person, but you're controlled by the flesh in a certain area. And when you control by the flesh in that certain area and you don't take control of that, then you can end up regretting what you're doing. So we can say that Judas loved the things of the world rather than God. But what about us? What about you and me? You see, when we are led by the things of this world, then we can easily be tempted. We can easily be manipulated by the enemy. Now, none of this removes the guiltiness from us. But it leads us to behave in a way that our guilt and our sinful nature leads us into behavior that brings about the judgment of God. Because you're not close to him. You don't have a relationship with him. You're not listening to him. You're not following him. You're following the things of this world. You see, when Jesus comes back and we, or when you die, the, the Bible says the minute you die, judgment comes. So you're going to go one or two places. You're going to go to Hades or you're going to go to paradise. And you're going to wait the final judgment. Now, if you go to paradise, you're already saved. And we talked about this in the book of Revelation. The only thing left for you is, 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 is to go what? To get your rewards. You place in front of the Bema seat, right? To get your rewards while the other ones, the non-believers, are placed in front of the great white throne judgment before they be sentenced into hell. Right, but, but we know here is that when you have a relationship with Jesus and you're close to him and you obey him and you have faith in him and you rely on him, that's the heart of the new covenant. 
That's why Jesus went to the cross. So we can have a chance to live in the eternal kingdom of heaven so we can be redeemed. That's why Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. The father raised him because he did the will of the father. And Jesus wants us to do the will of the father as well. But when we don't do that, then we have to face the consequences of us rebelling against God, for us rebelling against Jesus, right? So the scripture says that Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned and he was seized with remorse. Why, you say? Because you see, Judas has witnessed all this firsthand. He was with the Sanhedrin. He was with the religious leaders. He was in those meetings with them. There are the ones that, that, that bought him off, that, that Judas went to them and said, what would you give me if I betray Jesus of Nazareth? And they agreed on 30 pieces of silver. So we see because of his hunger for money, he turned on his master, he turned on his teacher, he turned on his rabbi, he turned on his Lord, he turned on his Savior. See, money was his God. We can say that money ruled him. It ruled Judas. The question is this, what rules your life today? What or who is your God today? See, what I think happened was this. This is just me talking here. I think Judas's mindset was that he would betray Jesus because he loved money so much, right? He was a pleasure of money. And he did this thinking that there would be no harm in this. You know, I really believe that Judas thought that nothing would be done to Jesus. You know, maybe that Jesus would get arrested, yeah. But eventually Jesus would be found not guilty. Because you see, Judas was with Jesus for almost three years. And he's seen how the religious leaders and the Sanhedrin was after Jesus and they tried to entrap Jesus, but they never got away with it because Jesus always found a way out. And I think this is what happened here. I think the love of money got the best of Judas. And the Bible says that when he made that commitment with the Sanhedrin, with the religious leaders, that the devil entered into Judas. And he was controlled by the flesh, which means he was controlled by Satan himself. But I think deep down inside, Judas really didn't think that Jesus was going to be put to death. And I think that's the reason he did that. So, so when he sees that Jesus is condemned, the Bible tells us that he returned the 30 pieces of silver, that he had remorse. And he turns it back over to the chief priests and the elders. Now, the question is this, because he had remorse or regret, and because he gives back the money, was this repentance? Was this true repentance because he had regret and remorse and because he gave back the money? No, it is not. And why do I say no, that it is not? Because you see, having a remorse is a good thing. Because normally the conscience, when a conscience pricks you and you have regret and remorse, that means there's hope for you. But you need to go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Ask for him to, to, to wipe it away. 
But the Bible doesn't tell us and doesn't teach us that Judas did this. The Bible doesn't say this. Yeah, he might have had remorse and regret, but, but he didn't go to the source. He didn't go to Jesus and confess the sin. He didn't apologize to Jesus. He didn't cry out to Jesus. You see, all he wanted to do was escape the situation. And we know this, that running away from a problem, running away from a situation is never good and isn't true repentance. Verse 4, look what he says. I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Now he recognizes that he sinned because he betrayed Jesus. And he knows that Jesus is innocent. And we need to take notice of this, that Jesus was innocent then, he was innocent now, and he'll always be innocent because he never committed a sin. He was God in the flesh. And look what else the scripture says. So when, when Judas goes to them and says, I have sinned, I have turned in innocent blood, I've turned on innocent blood, G Judas is saying right here that Jesus is innocent. But look what the religious leaders and the Sanhedrin say. What is that to us, they say. So this shows us that they didn't care. This shows us and tells us that this wasn't important to them. Why, you say? Because they were committed to their sinful desires. They wanted to bring about the outcome of what they wanted. They weren't concerned with justice. They weren't concerned with truth. They wasn't concerned with righteousness. The only thing that concerned them was putting Jesus to death. And they say this, that is your responsibility. So they're saying, we don't care. This is not our concern. You have to deal with it yourself. So what's happening in these last couple of verses here is that Judas knows that Jesus is innocent. He always knew that Jesus was innocent. But because he's seen that Jesus is arrested and that Jesus is going to be put to death, now he goes to him and he says, I've turned on an innocent man. This man's innocent. So what he wants them to do is drop the charges. But we're going to find out that they don't listen to Judas. They tell him that's not our problem here. That's your responsibility. That's your problem. You go deal with it, whatever, however you need to deal with it. And the message that we can get here is this. Many of us make plans and we set it into motion, just like Judas. But once that plan is set into motion, you see if that plan is not God-led, it's not Jesus-led. In other words, if you don't pray about it, if you don't seek the Lord in it, and you don't ask him to lead you and guide you, and you just act on it in the flesh, just like Judas did then sometimes it can't be reversed. And sometimes we have regret and remorse. Now the question is this, when it happens, do you repent? You see, just like Judas here, right? He couldn't reverse it. And what we need to do is we need to think about the potential consequences before we just launch into action. Because when you don't seek proper guidance by our Lord and Savior, in a decision, in a move that you make, then just like Judas right here, maybe it can't be changed once we set it into action and we're going to later regret it. Now there's something else that we can take from this scripture in verse four. See, the priest's job was to teach the people about God. And the priest's job was not only to teach the people about God, but they were to act 
They were to be intercessors, so to speak, to God. In other words, they were going to help with sacrifices to cover up their sins. But when Judas returns and he tells the chief priests and he tells the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests, he tells them that Jesus is innocent and that he regrets it. Look what they say. Basically, they tell them, that's your problem. It's not our problem. So instead of helping Judas find forgiveness, they didn't help him one bit. They really didn't care about him. So we can, we can say that these priests not only rejected Jesus, our Lord and Savior, but they also rejected their role as priest. Verse 5. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and he hanged himself. So we see that Judas throws the money in the temple and he leaves. Now, when he says temple here, it means the entire temple area. And the word temple shows us here that they sinned against God. So he throws the money into the temple. Then he went away, the scripture says, and he hanged himself. So we see here that he didn't repent to Jesus. He didn't go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. He didn't cry out to Jesus. He just left and he went and he hanged himself. Now, what we see in another scripture, in another chapter in the book of Acts, in verses 1, chapter 1, verse 18, the scripture tells us that while Judas was hanging, he fell to the ground and busted open his inside, and ate, like exposing his inner organs. And a lot of people say this is what killed Judas. See, regardless of what killed Judas, the first thing he did was he went to hang himself, which means that he wanted to die. Now, the second, because that limb that it was on broke down, and while he's falling down, he hits something, and his insides bust open, exposing his inner organs. You know what this is to show us? The Scripture is telling us, this is to show us how disgraceful of an act that Judas did toward his master, toward his Lord and Savior. Verse six, the chief priest picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they say here that this is blood money and it's being used for unrighteous means. And they say, because it's blood money, our law says, our man-made laws of the elders say that this comes from a criminal. And it becomes, if, if it comes from a criminal and it's used as blood money, then it can't be used in the temple treasury. Now, according to Jewish law, this is correct what they say. This is absolutely 100% true. But we need to understand this. These are the same people that gave Judas the money. So the blood is really on their hands, right? But they're saying right here, we can't use this money for temple treasury. But they gave Judas the money. That's hypocritical. So once again, what they're living, they're living religiously. They're not living on faith. They're not living on the word of God. They're not living on the truth of God. But they're being faithful to their man-made rules according to their religion. That's what this tells us here. In other words, it's all right for us to give him the money. But when he gives the money back, we can't put that in the temple treasury because it was blood money. It's, it's not innocent money. Well, you gave him that. That's hypocritical. And what did Jesus always say about the religious leaders? He called them what? 
hypocrites. And once again, we see right here, because of their religious laws, their man-made rules that said, you can't use that in the temple treasury, they think it's all good. But yet, they don't want responsible for giving Judas the money. Just total hypocritical. Verse 7. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. So instead of using their own money or treasury money, they took this money, the blood money, and they used it to buy a field. You see, you might say, well, why are they going to use it to bury foreigners? Because if a foreigner lived among them and had no family, had no loved ones, when that foreigner died, it was a Gentile. When that foreigner died, that Gentile died, it was the responsibility, according to Jewish law, to take care of that body, to have a proper burial for that body, for that Gentile, for that foreigner. So they buy a field with that money. Verse 8 says this, that is why it is called the field of blood to this day. So because it was blood money and they buy that field, that field today is called the field of blood. Now, before we jump into verse 9, we need to get, we need to discuss what many people, I guess, misinterpret verse 9, right? You see, many people made the mistake of thinking that Zechariah and Jeremiah, what they quoted, that's what Matthew is using here, and it has the same meaning about the 30 pieces of silver, that they're going to use 30 pieces of gold or silver to turn over the Messiah. But that's not what Matthew's talking about in verse 9. Let's jump into verse 9. Verse 9 says this, Then what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. They took the 30, 30 pieces of silver, and they put a price set on him by the people of Israel. Now, he, he isn't quoting what Jeremiah or Zechariah stated about the pieces of silver. It's not what he's quoting. What Matthew's teaching us is this. He's saying that in the same way, the leadership in the days of Jeremiah and in the days of Zechariah, right? When they turn their back on the prophets, when they turn their back on truth, on prophetic truth, their temple was eventually destroyed. And what Matthew's saying here, in the same way that the Jews turned and didn't listen to what the prophet Jeremiah and Zechariah and all the prophets in that time was saying that they need to repent, that they, they, need back, they need to turn back to God. They didn't listen. And what he's saying here is just like they didn't listen and they turned their back on God, then the Jews right here in the time of Jesus is turning their back on truth, is turning their back on prophetic truth, is turning their back on their Lord, their Savior, their God. That's what he's saying here. So what he's saying here, because they turn their back, then the same thing's going to happen to them as what happened in the time of Jeremiah and Zechariah and all the old time prophets that the temple will eventually be destroyed. And we know that 40 years after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. So what's happening here is they believed and they 
that it was good to use the 30 pieces of silver and that they turned their back on Jesus. But you see, it really wasn't. Because what Matthew's saying here is, just like in Jeremiah and Zechariah's time, the same thing's gonna happen to y'all. Why? Because you turned your back. You rejected prophetic truth. Last verse for today, verse 10. And they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Now let's talk about this potter's field. This potter's field is still here today. You can go on YouTube, right? And, and you can YouTube the potter's field, the field of blood, and you can actually see it today. Now what's interesting about this, about this field, this is the same location where they would sacrifice children by worshiping the God of Molech in the Old Testament. Same place, it's the same field. Why am I saying that? Because it's to show us that really there are demonic spirits, demons that are in this exact location, the field of blood, the potter's field. And it's still there today. You can visit it today. So I, I would encourage you to go to YouTube and YouTube the, pot, the, the potter's field or the field of blood and you're going to see exactly the field that I'm talking about. So let's finish up this scripture. And they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Now, who is me here? This is Matthew because Matthew's the writer of this gospel. And Matthew's saying here when he says, me, he's saying that all of this that I wrote down was instructed to me in this way by God. God directed me to this. God instructed and directed me to write this down. Amen. And that concludes our lesson for today. We'll be back next week, continuing on in Matthew 27. We appreciate all you tuning in and listening. Y'all go bless someone this week. Until next week, we love you guys. God bless.